0: J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 40% on Sleep Number limited edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com.
1: Live from New York, I'm Allison Kosick in for Julia Chatterley. This is First Move, and here's your need to know. Restrictions and rescues. European governments scramble to tackle Omicron. Holiday hopes. President Biden to tell vaccinated Americans not to cancel holiday plans. And roller coaster ride. The Turkish lira surges after President Erdogan introduces new savings plan. It's Tuesday. Let's make a move. And a warm welcome to First Move. Great to have you with us this Tuesday. Let's begin with a look at the markets. And it's an improved tone on Wall Street after Monday's more than 1% slump for the major averages. European stocks bouncing from the previous session's losses too. Sentiment looking better today, but uncertainty over Omicron's health and economic impact, leaving markets vulnerable to fresh bouts of volatility, especially during this thinly traded holiday season. Oil bouncing from Monday's more than two and a half percent losses, too. Oil remains volatile as governments in many parts of the world impose new COVID restrictions that could weigh on energy demand. Meantime, higher close in Asia Chip stocks rallied after a strong profit report from U.S. tech firm Micron Technology. All right, let's get more now on today's market picture in our drivers. And let's turn to Christine Romans. She joins me live. Christine, great to see you. You know, what what I thought when I looked at futures this morning was what a difference a day makes. But the reality (laughs) is little has really changed from what happened yesterday or over the weekend to today. So what's moving the market today?
2: You know, this is a little bit of a bounce back this morning, the tone set really in Asia with a strong close there. But um, let's remember where we are for the year. It has been a strong year for the American stock market and for stock market averages here. And uh, S&P 500 up more than 20% so far this year. The Dow has had a 15% move this year. So I don't think it's surprising to see a little volatility heading into the end of the year. This is a shortened trading week as folks try to position and take some money maybe off the table and book some profits, especially since Omicron is spreading faster in the U.S. than we thought. Um, It's got uh, a a lot of the big economists uh, downwardly uh, revising their forecast for GDP growth in the first quarter and the second quarter of next year, both because of Omicron and also because Build Back Better, the president's signature landmark uh, attempt to remake the American economy focused toward the working working class, uh, you know, paid for by corporations. That looks like it's on the sidelines now because of Senator Joe Manchin. That's another reason why you're starting to see a little bit of uncertainty about just how strong the economy will be in the beginning of the year.
1: What do you think is the next catalyst for the markets, though? Is it earnings? Is it the Fed? I mean, could the Fed change course even now? Could it be built back better? I mean, could it be split up
2: into parts where pieces of it pass what do you think I, I think that last point is really important I think there's a lot of headline risk um, an upside potential frankly in the market if you start to see pieces of this bill uh, come back to life because remember these investments in the working class are things that would put money into people's pockets and keep spending going that's why economists had had about a one percentage point higher expectation on on earn or on, on, uh, on GDP in the beginning of the year if you had a build back better there I think it's important to talk about profit margins though here too I mean it's been kind of flying under the radar But, you know, profit margins are at record highs. I mean, companies have managed so well during COVID that even the real risk of three interest rate hikes in the beginning of next year hasn't taken that much really off of the market overall. And I think that's because overall companies are earning. They have great earnings power and earnings potential. And that's expected to continue into next year, especially if you start to get a handle on COVID-19. Yeah, it's something we can easily
1: forget about as we see these huge gyrations in the stock market that these companies are actually doing pretty darn well. Christine Romans, thanks so much. Nice to see you. Good to see you, too. A short while ago, the U.K. unveiled $900 million worth of financial support for the hospitality uh, sector. It is one of three special measures introduced as the Omicron surge hits the holiday season. Anna Stewart joins me now. So, uh, Anna, go go through with me what you heard uh, about this rescue for the hospitality sector.
3: Well, it's a long time coming is what I can tell you. And these measures aren't nearly as extensive, of course, as when business were forced to close their doors. It gives cash to those businesses who need it most. And those are largely in hospitality, restaurants, bars, also some venues like in the arts. So opera houses, theatres and so on. And that's because they are seeing mass cancellations before Christmas, despite there being no lockdown. But the public's so concerned about the spread of Omicron and not wanting to get it right before Christmas when they want to spend time with their loved ones. So here is what the Chancellor has announced.
4: Well, I know the current situation is very difficult, especially for those in the hospitality industry. So today we're announcing three new measures to help people and businesses. Firstly, we're announcing a billion pounds in financial grant support, which means eligible hospitality companies will be able to claim a cash grant worth up to £6,000. Secondly, we're providing £30 million to top up our successful cultural recovery fund to support institutions like theatres and museums. And lastly, we're reintroducing our statutory sick pay rebate scheme so that small and medium sized companies can claim compensation for the government for the cost of sick pay for their employees. Taken together, I'm confident that these measures will help hundreds of thousands of businesses and the millions of people that they employ.
3: Now, the Chancellor put that grant figure for hospitality businesses up to £6,000, nearly $8,000. To put that into context, that's the sort of level of support they were actually getting during the lockdowns when they couldn't open. So that is welcome news, particularly by the lobby group UK Hospitality. Right before this news came in, they said that... um, over half of the venues they were speaking to saw a 40 percent decline in revenue just over the last weekend. And anecdotally, I can tell you, Alison, traveling around London, it has emptied. Restaurants, bars, shops are looking much, much emptier.
1: Yeah, it, it really is incredible how it just feels like a ghost town even here in New York City. You know, if the U.K. does impose restrictions, uh, do you think the government will have to
3: give more, even more support? I mean, could we see a return of the furlough scheme? You know, that is a big question that we're all wondering and particularly given the prime minister said that he's not going to take restrictions off the table for the future. I think lots of people are worried that will happen. And will the furlough scheme make a comeback? The British Chambers of Commerce have welcomed um, this news just in the last hour, but they have said it's a positive starting point. Uh, wider support package may well be needed. And if there are restrictions, you could see a return of the furlough scheme. But that is a decision that this government will not take lightly. It cost $95 billion between March last year when it was introduced. And when it wrapped up in September this year, and you know what? It was really hard to take businesses off that life support that they had got used to. They're going to have to balance that, though, with the economic picture here. Inflation hitting above 5% last month. The economy barely growing. October was the last monthly GDP data we got. It came in at 0.1%. So there are some big decisions to be made in the coming weeks. As everyone just looking at that data, does this surge in cases result? in a surge in hospitalizations, in deaths, and does that mean more restrictions are coming, in which case we could see, yeah, a return of all sorts of financial support. Allison,
1: All right, and that is uh, data that we will be watching along with you. Anna Stewart, thanks so much for breaking all of that down. European nations are scrambling to contain the threat of the Omicron variant. London, Paris, and Rome are among cities cancelling New Year events as Germany plans to limit private gatherings to up to 10 people from next week. Fred Pleiken is in Berlin for us. You know, we are just days away, Fred, from the holidays. Um, I know that you're expecting to hear from, from the German government about restrictions. Uh, France also talking about new measures. Uh, tell me more about what you're hearing.
5: Mm. Uh, hi there, Allison. Yeah, so the Germans are saying that they really want to be proactive with this. It's quite interesting because obviously we have a new government uh, here uh, in Germany that uh, just went into office, and they say they really want to make sure that they act early so that they can try and contain this Omicron variant. Uh, obviously, uh, Olaf Scholz, the new chancellor, he's meeting with state leaders today, but he also has a new health minister called Karl Lauterbach, and he is someone who is an expert on the coronavirus, who's also a medical doctor as well, who's actually worked in vaccination's Centers. and he essentially says that Germany needs to do something before the omicron virus takes hold here and one of the things that he said time and again over the past couple of days is that he is in very close contact with the authorities in the United Kingdom to see how things are developing there and to then therefore in Germany see what measures they need to take in order to try and at least slow down the omicron variant and one of the things that the Germans say they do want to do is they don't want these measures to take hold uh, during Christmas so it looks as though Christmas itself uh, seems to not be affected by these new measures. However, uh, from what we're hearing from the German government, they are set to take hold on the 28th of December and obviously, therefore, have a severe impact on New Year's Eve celebrations. And really, the core of it is what you've just mentioned. It's those public gatherings being limited to no more than 10 people. And that counts both indoors and outdoors, but also counts for both vaccinated and unvaccinated people uh, as well. So that's a general thing. And that certainly will obviously make it very difficult to have any large New Year's celebrations. Also, by the way, this goes hand in hand with a ban on on fireworks that the Germans have put in place uh, this year as well. But they also say, obviously, this is a very serious situation, so therefore any sort of larger public events public uh, sports uh, events for instance also will be severely limited for instance the German soccer league other professional leagues as well will have to play without spectators and you know it, one of the other things that the Germans say they do definitely to do is speed up their booster vaccination campaign it's really a two fold thing try to restrict contacts speed up the booster campaign they have said they understand they're not going to be able to prevent the Omicron virus from taking hold here, they believe that that next wave of Omicron is probably going to hit in the middle of January. They say the thing that they can do or try to do, at least, is slow it down to make sure that the health care system in this country does not get overwhelmed, Allison.
1: Yeah, th- this requires self-enforcement, though. I mean, you know, it's the holidays. Uh, people are getting antsy and limiting pu- these gatherings to 10 You know, enforcing that is going to be uh, interesting. It's going to have to be self-enforcement, I think. Fred Pleiken, thanks so much. In Washington, President Biden is set to announce major new steps as Omicron becomes the dominant strain here in the U.S. The plans include distributing free at-home test kits and mobilizing military members to help hospitals. Jeremy Diamond joins us now live with more. So, Jeremy, what is expected to be, uh, you know, entailed in these additional steps in this fight against COVID-19?
4: Well, listen, President Biden is going to be announcing several new steps uh, to try and show a stepped-up federal response in the face of this wave of cases that we are seeing on the backs of the Omicron variant, and now accounting for nearly three quarters of new cases over the last week. President Biden is going to announce this first plan to send about uh, half a billion to purchase first a half a billion free at home COVID tests and send them to any American who requests them via a new website that's going to go online uh, beginning next month. Uh, There's also going to be expanded federally run uh, coronavirus testing sites with the first one being established this week in New York City, one of the areas that has been the hardest hit by this new wave uh, of coronavirus cases. Also, So already uh, new emergency medical teams are en route to some of the states that have been hardest hit uh, by this latest surge of coronavirus cases. And also the president plans to mobilize about a thousand military service members, including doctors, nurses and other healthcare professionals who can be deployed to hospitals uh, that are being overwhelmed by cases uh, over the coming months. But really what the president will be doing today in his speech today, uh, other than outlining these new steps, is also delivering two distinct messages, one of them to the unvaccinated Americans, warning them of the risk that they face over the coming weeks and months of serious illness and hospitalization as cases skyrocket. And another message to vaccinated Americans, particularly those who have gotten that booster shot, uh, telling them that they can go ahead and continue with their holiday uh, travel plans as long as they continue to practice uh, safe, common sense, public health measures and uh, reassuring them that they are, according to the data that we have right now, well protected from serious illness and other serious outcomes uh, from this Omicron variant as long as they've been fully vaccinated and particularly if indeed they have been boosted. So those will be the dueling messages that the president offers. And he will make very clear that as of now, the United States is not looking to go into another lockdown, not looking to shut down parts of the economy.
1: These at-home uh, COVID tests, Jeremy, uh, that will be supplied to Americans. I mean, right now, it's hard to just buy one if you go to the grocery store here or the drugstore uh, here in the U.S. What about supply? Is there enough of that to give to Americans?
4: Yeah, I mean, clearly every public health expert you talk to say that we do not have enough testing uh, here in the United States. It's not accessible enough. It's not available enough. Uh, So this is going to be an effort to get more tests into the hands of Americans. But the White House also making clear that it will continue to use as necessary the Defense Production Act uh, to ramp up production of those tests. Uh, Clearly, uh, more is needed. If you think about uh, a half a billion tests, that may sound like a lot. But this is a country with a population of 330 million plus Uh, Americans. So uh, it's obviously that testing supply can go very quickly. And beyond that, of course, there's the question of what do Americans do right now? Uh, You know, these tests aren't going to come online until the beginning of the next month. There's also this plan to have insurance reimburse Americans for the cost of tests that they purchase themselves. That's also not going into place until next month. So there is this gap of the next few weeks that will be difficult for many Americans.
1: Okay, and President Biden's official announcement coming in about five hours. He will speak to uh, the the American public. All right, Jeremy Diamond, thanks very much. And these are the stories making headlines around the world. The Turkish Lira's roller coaster ride continues. It jumped more than 20 percent against the dollar after President Erdogan unveiled measures to prop up the currency yesterday. But it's dropped again since then and is still close to record lows against the u.s currency right now trading at about 13 per dollar arwa damon is live in istanbul with more uh it's safe to say this is certainly whiplash with the turkish lira it's
6: whiplash allison and it's actually quite confusing i mean this morning take a cab ride meet up with friends meet up with colleagues Everyone is literally looking at each other, trying to figure out exactly what is happening with their country's currency. How is it ping ponging all over the place to such a degree? Look, when most people went to bed last night or at around this time yesterday. The lira was up at 18. Then President Erdogan makes this announcement, one of many measures that are going to be put into place. But one of them in particular is that people who will put their lira into fixed rate Uh, interest accounts, whether for three, six or 12 months, if the interest that they get does not offset the loss of the lira against the dollar, the government is somehow going to make up that loss. And so due to that, all of a sudden this morning, we saw the lira all the way down at 11. Now, throughout the course of the day, uh, it has gone back up to 13, 14 to the dollar, but it's all over the place. And frankly, a lot of Turks are trying to figure out exactly what is going on because Turkey has been through this sort of economic crisis before in the 90s and in The 80s and even in the 2000s, early 2000s. But what makes this particularly unnerving for the population here is this up and down fluctuation. Many people will tell you, well, look, if it was just a steady decline, we could begin to adjust to that. But this all over the place really has people's heads spinning. And it does deal quite a psychological blow to the population who are unsure how to manage their own finances. The government has also announced a number of other measures to try to the burden on businesses and on those who have a retirement savings account. But suffice to say, this is a
1: very confusing time for the Turkish population. Yeah, with a huge impact on the population. Arwa Damon, thanks so much. Still to come on First Move, the EU approves a fifth COVID-19 vaccine. The CEO of Novavax on the breakthrough shot. And China's live-streaming queen is hit by a $200 million fine as Beijing reigns in celebrities. Welcome back to First Move. I'm Allison Kosick, and U.S. stocks still look set for a higher open. A turnaround in sentiment after Monday's across-the-board losses. The S&P 500 has fallen for three straight sessions, not only on Omicron concerns, but also because of uncertainty over U.S. fiscal and monetary stimulus. The S&P, however, still up some 20 percent year-to-date. It hit record highs a little over a week ago. Nike, meantime, on track for strong gains. Shares set to rise more than 4% after the sports apparel giant reported better than expected earnings and sales driven by strong growth in North America. Nike says it is in a much stronger competitive position now than before the pandemic. Joining us with her market and economic insight is Christina Hooper. She's the chief global market strategist at Invesco. Christina, great to see you. Allison, great to see you, too. We really have to keep tabs on this market because it literally changes every day. They were rattled by the, you know, by the weekend headlines of the spread of the Omicron variant. Today it's a different story, but there is more uncertainty into play here. Talk with me how investors should approach the market, one that really just seems to be reacting to these fast-moving COVID headlines.
7: Well, we always encourage investors to take a long term perspective, which means not getting rattled by headlines. Um, clearly, though, we are going through a rough patch right now where markets are really reassessing whether or not the reopening continues and are coming to the realization that we might see some small pause in that reopening. Having said that, though, I don't think it should change anything that investors with a longer term horizon are doing, except perhaps look for
1: opportunities created by these sell-offs. Okay. so what are some of those opportunities that you see at this point?
7: Well, we've seen this mass sell-off stocks arguably indiscriminately have sold off in the last few days. And so investors really should be sharpening their pencils and saying um, what are stocks that I wanted to own that I viewed as too richly priced to own. Perhaps this is a better entry point. And now I have to give the caveat, though, that we're likely to see continued volatility over the next few weeks, because, as you mentioned, it's not just Omicron, which is likely to continue to spread at a fierce pace. But we, of course, also have concerns about a drop in fiscal stimulus as we head into the next year and, of course, a reduction in monetary policy accommodation. None of these things should matter for the long term, but they could create more volatility in the short run.
1: Do you see the Fed wavering at all? Um, I know that the Fed kind of made it clear that it's accelerating, it's tapering, it's um, made it clear that it's going to go ahead and raise interest rates uh, beginning next year. But if you look at what's happening in the bond market, bond yields, um, you know, yeah, they're back above 1.4 percent. But what's happening there is kind of a head scratcher because yields are still pretty low. I guess, do you think that there's doubt coming into the mix about the Fed's projection for higher rates? I mean, is there thinking that until we get the pandemic under control, uh, that the U.S. just cannot handle higher rates? Well, the Fed has
7: always tried to, in recent times, retain as much flexibility as possible. And really, what we've seen the Fed do over the last few months in particular is say that we could go in a variety of different directions— Yes, right now we're gonna accelerate the taper, but we are gonna be very much data dependent, and there is no uh, strong uh, correlation between when tapering ends and rate hikes begin. So the Fed has retained that what we call optionality, uh, and that makes a big difference. Uh, That means that we could see the Fed easily reverse course if it views Omicron as a very significant threat to the U.S. economy.
1: Do you agree with um, the growth outlook projections that have been dimmed, that have been lowered, uh, not just by Goldman Sachs, but from Moody's as well, predicting 2022 will see uh, slower growth? Well, I think as we sit here today, there are a variety of different
7: paths the U.S. economy and, quite frankly, the global economy could follow. Um, certainly the base case um, would would suggest that we see a slight Uh, decrease in growth projections, uh, assuming that we don't get fiscal stimulus, and of course, given that reopenings are being paused because of Omicron. Uh, But the reality is um, that there is a best case scenario as well, where Omicron, because it is so incredibly contagious, crowds out Delta, Um, And if it truly is as mild as we're seeing, uh, could in fact uh, bring a a premature or quicker end to the pandemic than many had expected. Uh, So right now, where we sit, there are a variety of different paths. um, And that's why the Fed needs to be data dependent and dependent upon um, how this unfolds, because there really are a few different scenarios that could potentially take place in 2022.
1: Okay, still a lot up in the air. uh, But, you know, we have to remember, even with these bouts of sell-offs that we have, S&P 500 still up 21 percent. The Nasdaq, which is at a two-month low, still up 16 percent for the year. Uh, Christina Hooper, thanks so much uh, for your analysis today, the chief global market strategist at Invesco. And we'll be right back after the break. Welcome back to First Move. I'm Allison Kosick, and don't adjust your screen. You are seeing a bear ring the opening bell at the New York Stock Exchange. This is a bear from cloud computing firm Snowflake, uh, ringing uh, the opening bell and waving his paws everywhere. <laughs> U.S. stocks are up and running this Tuesday, a risk-on day for markets, with the S&P 500 on track for its first positive close in almost a week. Some relief, perhaps, that President Biden will not announce more COVID-related restrictive health measures. That expected to happen during a speech happening later today in about five hours. That said, Omicron now accounts for more than 70 percent of the new cases reported in the U.S. just weeks after being detected. It's a stunning rise that raises fresh fears about how the new variant will affect reopenings. Concern over how riskier assets might perform in a less accommodative monetary policy environment also weighing on sentiment. The Nasdaq now down more than 5 percent this past month, a more substantial drop than the S&P. The small cap Russell 2000 down 8 percent the past month as well. All right, let's get more now on what's moving the markets with Dan Ives. He's the managing director of Wedbush Securities. Great to see you, Dan.
8: Great to be here.
1: You know, after hearing from the Fed with, you know, just the expectation that interest rates will be moving higher next week, you know, we've seen tech get crushed. Um, the Nasdaq, even though it's up 16 percent, so still for the year, it has, it is at a two-month low. Do you think it was overdue for a sell-off or is, are we seeing the Nasdaq oversold at this point?
8: Look, I think with the Fed now putting those goalposts out there, you're starting to see that risk-off market you know, a lot of it is the valuation framework for tech stocks. So you're starting to see everyone head for the elevator in terms of a lot of these high beta names. I, I believe this is a digestion period, not the start of a negative sort of trend going into 2022. It- it's a fourth industrial revolution going on across cloud, cybersecurity, EV, as well as artificial intelligence. We're bullish on tech. View this as a buying opportunity. We have a 19,000 NASDAQ target for 2022.
1: So you're not claiming that tech is dead just yet. So talk with me about specifically, let's say, where in cybersecurity are some of the best investments? I know that companies are finally taking cybersecurity seriously.
8: Well, I think that's why you have to separate what's happening on the macro to fundamental. I mean, even what you saw with Micron from from a chip perspective, you, you look at the cloud shift in terms of what we're seeing. Cybersecurity names like Zscaler. CrowdStrike, CyberArk, you know, I think are some of the names that are really going to benefit as well as Palo though. And I think in terms of cybersecurity, this is just the start of a golden age, along with cloud where Microsoft continues to be our favorite.
1: Why do you see with cybersecurity this is becoming a golden age? What are the things that are uh, sort of catapulting it into that space?
8: It's the threat nature. I mean, if you look at the threats we're seeing, both bad actors and nation states, it's unlike anything we've ever seen, especially as more enterprise and governments move to the cloud, more endpoints are exposed. And that's why you're starting to see you need to protect those endpoints, which is why cybersecurity and clouds almost become a, I'll call it a perfect storm of demand. And and I think you're going to see more and more. These are the subsectors, cloud and cybersecurity that outperform along with our view that Apple remains our, our favorite FANG name in terms of ways to play 5G and this sort of consumer cycle that continues to play out, uh, not just in the U.S., but globally.
1: 5G. We haven't talked about 5G in forever. So let's talk about 5G. Where do you see it going in 2022?
8: Well, I think when you look at 5G, I think there, you could play the carriers in terms of the, the likes of Verizon, AT&T, And then you look at sort of the facilitators of this. I think Apple continues to be the best 5G play along with Qualcomm and and, uh, because I think there's a chip way to play it. Also Marvell or other ways to play 5G. And I think it all comes down to like, look at the fundamental stories that are starting to play out. You look at Micron's numbers last night. I think it indicates us just bullishness for chips. We think chip shortage starts to alleviate in the first half of 2022, that removes a dark storm for, for tech stocks. And I think 5G, another way to play the international play would be names like Samsung. I think that's going to be front and center at CES in early January.
1: You also mentioned Apple, and Apple has really become sort of the safety stock for so many investors. But some are predicting this is a stock that's, uh, because, that, that could be a, a bubble that's expected to pop next year. Do you agree with that?
8: Look, I mean, the haters, they hated $1 trillion. At $2 trillion, they despise it. And at 3000000000000 trillion, they'll be screaming, you know, into the empty FARS. Because, look, to me, it's about a re-rating in tech stocks. You look at Apple, it's not just about this <clears throat> iPhone cycle that continues to play out. You look at services, that's a big part of the re-rating. We believe Apple, as well as Microsoft, are both $3 trillion mark caps in 2022. The haters will hate. We continue to view this as a buying opportunity.
1: Where do you see the biggest opportunity for 2022? Is it, is it with EVs, um, even with uh, the Build Back Better plan being shelved, meaning those uh, incentives to buy electric vehicles not being given to Americans? Is the EV space one of the trends that you're seeing really, really get stronger next year?
8: Well, I mean, EV is the biggest transformation to the auto industry since 1950. And it's not just Tesla, which continues to be our favorite way to play it. You look at names like GM and Ford, I think there's a re-rating stocks as they start to become more successful on EVs. You look at pure plays, names like Rivian in terms of ways to play, and then also even supply chain. I mean, we view this as a $5 trillion market over the next decade. EVs, even though it's kind of a glass half empty right now, I think we look back at this period a year from now, and a lot of these stocks have really been some of the biggest outperformers of the overall disruptive tech ecosystem.
1: What's the way to play these EVs, though? Should, should you buy an ETF um, that includes, you know, lithium batteries and just sort of runs the gamut? You know, how do you separate the winners from the losers? Or you just kind of, do you, do you, buy, do you buy a group?
8: No, I think that's a, that's a great point. I think you have to play the supply chain players. Those are names like Li, Cycle, ChargePoint, EV, Go. I think you want to play some of the infrastructure. You want to play some of the stalwart names like GM and Ford in terms of a re-rating, and then even then, there's pure-play names like Tesla and Rivian, because even though those are we'll call them like expensive stocks in the eyes of many, those are really some of the core ways to play in terms of this transformation that we're seeing. Especially given Tesla, that stranglehold that they have on EV market share.
1: Okay, looking back at twenty twenty one, before we leave this year behind, what tech trends do you think will go down in history this year?
8: Uh, I think it's about cloud. I mean, if you look at the cloud shift, now over forty percent of enterprises moved to the cloud. COVID clearly accelerated that, but we're talking about what's really been one of the biggest, you know, changes to the IT infrastructure in the last thirty years. It's all about cloud, and that's why Microsoft is where it is.
1: Okay, Dan Ives, I feel so much more tech savvy after talking with you this morning. Thanks for your time. Thank you. Up next, the EU approves Novavax's COVID-19 vaccine. I will be talking with the CEO. The European Union has approved Novavax's COVID-19 vaccine. This is the fifth shot the block has authorized, but it is the first that is protein-based. Novavax says the technology is older and easier to produce and ship than the mRNA vaccines. The first shots are expected to be delivered in January. Joining me is Stanley Erk, president and CEO of Novavax. Stan, great to see you.
9: Thanks. Thanks for having me on.
1: And congratulations. I know this has been a long time coming, the uh, vaccine being dispersed in January. But the question I have is that Novavax received, you know, some of the biggest funding from the Trump administration in the early stages of the pandemic. Talk us through why it took so long just to get to this point.
9: Well, um, we started this journey uh, a year and a half ago. With no manufacturing capacity and no product development and, and uh, assay development uh, ass, uh, assets, and we've been building that uh, internally all the way along, and so we've done it uh, at, at uh, warp speed, which is what the uh, the administration's name for the for the uh, project was, and we've 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 gotten there, and and now we can produce product on, uh, on a global scale.
1: You know, there is a reluctance to get the COVID-19 vaccine because there is mistrust in MRNA vaccines. We're especially seeing this in Germany. Um, Novavax's vaccine is expected to change that because of the kind of vaccine it is. So describe why your vaccine is different. And do you think that your vaccine, uh, because of the, the technology, will it be enough to convince those that otherwise wouldn't get the shot? Is it enough to convince them to go ahead and get the shot?
9: Well, I hope so. I mean, you, you always have, all vaccines have a safety database that you build up before you go into humans, and we've, we've done that. We use, a, we use a simple protein that's injected into the muscle, which is what many vaccines historically have been, and, and uh, it's, it's got a very good efficacy and safety profile that we've developed over the years and we've used it in other vaccines and for influenza and and other vaccines as well so so we think it's it's going to be uh widely accepted uh the another aspect of our vaccine is is that it's very stable so we can we can ship it at at uh, simple refrigerated temperatures and and leave it at room temperature for several hours and uh and that that allows to get uh, the vaccine uh distributed throughout the world
1: Stan, you know, so many of of the studies of the data done with your vaccine to show efficacy, they happened when alpha and beta variants, that when they were prevalent. Now it's all about Delta and really Omicron. How effective is the Novavax vaccine against the Omicron variant?
9: Well, we don't know for sure yet. Uh, but based upon the data we have against alpha and beta and Delta, uh, we, we generate very broadly neutralizing uh, antibodies. So you should get a protective response against... Uh, a lot of the variants, and, and we hope including Omicron. We'll know. We'll know soon. We're doing measurements of of, uh, of Omicron antibody activity now that uh, from previous vaccinations, and so we'll know that. And that will guide us toward uh, the development of, of an Omicron vaccine or the determination that our current vaccine is is sufficiently uh, uh, efficacious against Omicron.
1: Did you see Omicron coming?
9: No, I think. I, you know, I think everybody uh, now understands that the, there's going to be variants uh, for a long time, and and we have to have vaccines that are broadly protecting.
1: How do you keep up as a vaccine maker? How do you keep up with the rapidly changing variants?
9: Well, it's a great question, but but we have some experience in that. We've got a we we, we have developed a flu vaccine, and specifically to show that our vaccine works against flu variants. As, as you know, uh, the vaccine changes every year for flu because the flu uh, uh, has variants every year. And so so our, our platform allows us to uh, be confident that our vaccine will work against uh, various variants.
1: Is this a situation where you think we're just going to need shots forever, that we are going, just like the flu shot we need every year, we're going to need a coronavirus vaccine every single year?
9: Great question. Could be. Uh, in fact, we're in clinical testing now, in human testing, of a vaccine that is, has both flu and um, COVID. And uh, our expectation is is that we'll we'll have data that shows that it's effective against both. And it could be that you take uh, a flu uh, COVID combination vaccine uh, every year.
1: And as far as the vac, your note, your vaccine goes right now, uh, you know, Moderna, Pfizer getting boosters right now and there's sort of a realization that fully vaccinated means three shots. Are you seeing that with your vaccine?
9: We are. We, we, we see, we see good protection and we demonstrated, uh, up to a hundred percent efficacy, particularly in older adults, uh, against, uh, severe, modern uh, moderate severe disease. And, uh, we expect that, uh, um, we expect to have this, this level of efficacy, um, uh, and and um, sorry, we expect to have this level of efficacy in uh, across the board.
1: Okay. And what about possible authorization in the U.S. for the Novavax vaccine?
9: Well, we we are we are preparing our filing in the U.S. We've filed with seven or eight different regulatory agencies now. We've we've gotten the WHO approval. We've gotten EU, and uh, our expectations will will file in the United States within the next week or two and uh, they'll evaluate it uh, on the same basis that everybody else does.
1: Okay, Stan Erk, uh, President and CEO of Novavax, great talking with you today. Thank you. Denmark was among the first European countries to impose a strict COVID lockdown last year. It was also among the first to begin reopening last spring. But a proactive approach and high vaccination rate may not be enough to stop Omicron, as CNN's Scott McLean reports.
10: The gates of the famous Christmas festival at the Tivoli Amusement Park are closed for the season. The rides are shut down and the staff have all gone home. It's all thanks to a massive surge in COVID infections that has already dwarfed the previous peak. New modeling published this weekend shows that if left unchecked, infections in Denmark could be 10 times that number, followed by record high hospital admissions by Christmas and well beyond in the new year.
0: To again. Charles Lillebeck
10: is the epidemiologist in charge of managing the risk of new variants in Denmark, a country blessed with more than three-quarters of its population double-vaccinated. But Danes are quickly discovering that two shots are no match for the new, more infectious variant, and the booster shot program simply cannot keep up. Denmark has among the highest rates of testing and sequencing in the world and has reams of data at its fingertips. And while there are some early indications that the Omicron variant could be less severe than Delta, they don't know how much less severe.
0: It doesn't really matter whether Omicron is uh, half as dangerous as Delta or as dangerous as Delta, because if if many, many thousands or ten of thousands are testing positive the same day, then the strain or the hospital system will be high anyway.
10: Danish lawmakers weren't willing to wait and see. Instead, they've shut elementary schools, museums and theatres, put curfews on bars and restaurants, mandated masks indoors and COVID passports on some public transit. The ghosts of lockdowns past, now the Christmas present. But Lillebeck is optimistic that decision has helped avert the worst
0: case scenario.
10: It sounds to me like without the restrictions, it would be absolute chaos.
0: I think that's a high risk that if, if we were just, you know, Leaving everything open, doing nothing—I think that would be an extremely difficult and and a situation. Yeah.
10: You wouldn't advise any country to do nothing.
0: You don't want to end up in a situation where you are too late at doing what's necessary.
10: And while many European governments are facing protests over tightening restrictions, in Denmark they've been so broadly accepted that some Danes support even tighter rules, according to this researcher. When we directly ask uh, citizens whether they cannot cope with any more restrictions, there's only 10% who says that, that they cannot do that. So there is, there is no real sign of fatigue uh, yet. It sounds like Danes are rule followers. To a large extent, we are rule followers, but it, it is not sort of blind obedience. It is because we feel that uh, we are being explained why we need to do it and what we need to do. His research found Americans followed COVID rules to a lesser extent than Danes. But Omicron won't hit the U.S. any less hard. I think that we will be facing uh, very tough times uh, across across the world with uh, Omicron. And the only thing that, that we can hope of uh, is then that the, uh, that the severity of the disease uh, will be mild enough that, uh, that uh, the health systems are, are not being overwhelmed. Scott McLean, CNN, London.
1: Next, why a Chinese social media influencer has been fined $200 million. That story in two minutes. She's known as the queen of live streaming in China, but now influencer Via has been taken off social media and ordered to pay the equivalent of $210 million for tax evasion. It's a sign the ongoing pressure Beijing is putting on Internet celebrities, as Selena Wang reports.
11: China has fined its top live streaming shopping influencer a whopping $210 million for tax evasion. Huang Wei, known as Via and the live streaming queen in China, is getting the largest fine ever imposed on a live streamer, according to Chinese state media. She's become a major internet celebrity in China, selling goods worth billions of yuan. From 2019 to 2020, she evaded more than 640 million yuan in taxes by falsely reporting the commission income she earned from live streaming platforms, according to authorities. Huang had millions of followers on China's major social media and shopping platforms. All of her accounts have been removed. But in a Weibo post reviewed by CNN before her account was taken down, Huang said she was, quote, deeply guilty. It is not clear when Huang will be back up online. In November, tax authorities had slapped smaller fines on two other top shopping influencers whose accounts have still not been restored. This is part of the broader crackdown in China that has targeted tech giants, social media platforms and celebrity culture. Under Xi Jinping, the party has become more obsessed with ideological and cultural control. The party sees the extravagant lifestyles of some celebrities as a sign of moral decay. And the sky high income of some celebrities is a glaring reminder of China's wealth gap. The crackdown on some celebrities and social media stars comes at a time when Xi Jinping is determined to redistribute wealth, as part of his campaign for common prosperity. So that means more pressure on China's wealthiest citizens and businesses. Selina Wang, CNN, Tokyo.
1: Harry Potter fans, magic is in the air. HBO Max, which is part of CNN's parent company, Warner Media, just dropped the official trailer for its upcoming reunion special, Return to Hogwarts. Take a look.
5: I've watched you grow up and I've seen kind of every stage of your life.
1: When things get really dark and times are really
11: hard, there's something about Harry Potter that makes life richer.
5: It's a strong bond that we'll always have. We're family. and so We will always be part of each other's life.
1: The original trio are just some of the stars featured in the upcoming special, which celebrates 20 years since the first... Potter film was released. Uh, the special is set to premiere January 1st. A young new member of President Biden's family has taken up residence at the White House. A puppy named Commander was spotted playing on the South Lawn on Monday. Aww. The German Shepherd was a birthday gift to the president from his brother. The Biden's beloved champ died in June at the age of 13. Oh, He looks adorable. That's it for the show. I'm Allison Cossack. Feel free to connect with me uh, on social media at Twitter and Instagram at Allison Cossack. And connect the world with Becky Anderson is next. I'll see you soon.
0: When you work, you work next level. And when you play, you play next level. And when it's time to sleep, sleep number smart beds are designed to embrace your uniqueness, providing you with high quality sleep every night. Sleep next level.